I uh, have come to this rude uh, understanding that I'm getting older. And uh, uh, as you get older, as you know, most of you could write a book on this, your desires change. You, You see things from a different perspective. And as a Christian, as a Christian... That taste, that desire uh, matures. And uh, Paul talked about this change that in 1 Corinthians that as a man's exterior gets older, his interior renews every day. It's renewed in a quantitatively new way, different from the original when I was born again, when I, had, when I was 15 years old, that changed, you know, that, that all grew, and, and now I'm not the same 15-year-old boy that I was. Well, this, uh, this past Christmas, I, was, uh, I had to go back to the United States after Christmas, and Judy, we couldn't find anybody to stay in the house, so she remained here in Mexico, and I went back to itinerate just in supporting churches and somewhere near Houston um, I was praying now when I drive I don't I don't I don't listen to a lot of music I I use it for think time I use it uh, to think and to pray and I personally think that we are uh, experiencing a dearth of genuine think time in the body of Christ and so when I was Driving, I just thought, well, I, I was just thinking and, and praying. And somewhere around Houston, headed towards Alabama, I, uh, I was conversing with the Lord, you know, both hands on the wheel. And it was like He asked me. You ever had times with Him where He, he communicates with you? And it was like He asked me, what do you want, John? What do you want? And it was almost like one of those Solomon moments, you know, when when God says, okay, what do you want? And he could have asked for a whole bunch of money or whatever, and he just asked for wisdom. Well, I'm not Solomon. But I knew it was a holy moment right outside of Houston. And so while I was driving, I thought about that. What do I want as a maturing man? And today I'm going to share with you what I want as a maturing man. The title of this message is, The Follies of a Maturing Man. Because what I want, the world would call folly. But I think it pleases him. So let's pray. Okay? Father, we are so grateful you have brought us to this point. Thank you for the air in our lungs and the blood in our veins. Thank you, Lord, for your protection. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your health. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us and open our eyes to see the the wonderful um, maravillas of what you want to do within us, Lord, as men and women who have a, a path that we've trotted. Men and women who have walked with you, Lord. 
and live in a new generation. May our desires, Lord, be pleasing to you. I love you, Lord. And I ask that you bless these few moments. Make your word bear life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What really matters? What do you really want? Now let me just give you this little warning. Don't let somebody tell you what you need to want. Because that can lead you astray. Now you get before the Lord and you find out, Lord, what? examine my heart. What do I want? And so these are some things, as a matter of fact, I, I put down five things that I want. And I don't think I'm going to get to them all today. And these are sincere desires. These are, these are things that have been cultivated in a life, walking with the Lord for a number of years. And I think they're sincere. It's not a put on. It's not something that I feel obligated to say. I think they're really desires in my heart. And the first one is, I really want to be godly. Now you would think that somebody, given a blank check from God... Uh, would want uh, riches or wealth or fame. And I, I get that. And that's pretty attractive. But I was driving along in my, in my old truck, which I was very content with. And as I looked at my heart, my heart really wants to be godly. Now that's a term that we kind of throw around and maybe have ill-defined. And I, I'd like to suggest what it means to be godly. What does that mean? Does it mean, you know, a certain hairstyle? Does it mean a certain dress style? Does it mean carrying a Bible so big that you need a team of Levites to bring it, you know? What does that mean? I take it to mean, to be godly, I take that to mean to be more focused on the things that He is focused on. And ladies and gentlemen, he is focused on himself more than anything else. His glory. Scripture, time after time after time after time, reminds us that he does everything he does for his own glory. For his name's sake. He drew Israel out of the clutches of Egypt for his glory. He gave them the promised land for his glory. He gave birth to the church for His glory. He, his Son died on the cross for His glory. And you and I have been born again for His glory. Everything He does is all for His glory. But what does that mean? What, what is the glory of God? Well, I'll give you a clue. You remember when Moses went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai? And he's there in the presence of God. And he asked a peculiar question. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, okay, you stand right here. Get, get right here in this cleft of this rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. And I'm going to let you see all of my goodness. Moses asked to see the glory of God. And yet God showed him all of his goodness. I would suggest to you that God's glory is all of His multiple perfections. All of His infinite perfections. Primarily demonstrated in His Son, 
Christ Jesus. That's why we're going to celebrate the resurrection in a couple of weeks. Because he, Jesus is the glory of God. We primarily see this glory through Him. See that in Hebrews 1 and also in John 1.14. We also see His glory in the testimony of Christ in His scriptures. I think to be godly is to be really zeroed in on what He's interested in. And I would suggest to you He is interested in His own glory. That means I want to be separated from the rest of the things that distract me from that. I want, to, I want to experience the insurmountable, unequaled majesty of His being. Hallelujah. To embrace, to esteem, to honor, to cherish what He cherishes most. That's a rude word to our modern day society because we think God exists for us. But that's not true. God exists on His own. And we are part of the package that can enjoy that. So I want to embrace that. I want to be more godly. I'm driving along and somewhere around Baton Rouge, I came up with another one. I want to be holy. Oh, there's another term that we... we, we, just do not have a grasp on. We have a tendency to, to, to put it in a cubby hole and think to be holy means to be in this denomination or to dress this particular way. But Paul wrote the Thessalonians and he said, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I would again suggest that to be holy means to be separated to God. Separated from the world to God. It's a distinct separation. And holiness is the result of that separation. The result is a pure life, behavior befitting one separated unto God. And I want to be that way. I want to be a man whose life reflects the one who lives in me. To be holy means to be put into the ranks apart from the world, into the ranks of the redeemed, and also being made holy as He is holy. And in our day and time, that's not a high thing that a lot of people aim for. And we kind of assume it because He, he separated us through, the, through our birth, a new birth. But I believe that Jesus gave us this new birth so that we could live a life that is distinct from the rest. You're not like your neighbors. You're not like you were before you met Christ Jesus. You're a new creature in Christ. Hallelujah. And you have a purpose for living. And that purpose is reflected by how you live in purity and in holiness. Simply put, holiness is the actions that reflect the one who lives in me and governs me. I want to be more holy. I don't always get there. But that's a desire in my heart. I went on. I was driving further. I think I made a couple bathroom stops. And the next one that came up was, I want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical ghost that just kind of hovers around. He is a person. 
When you were born again, the Bible scripture, the Bible says that he came to live in you. And he desires not to be a visitor, but to be the owner. And to dominate and to control and to, to direct your lives. And most of us wander into problems and crisis because we ignore his leadings and his guiding. People say, well, how do you hear his voice? Well, I can't teach you how to hear his voice. Did anybody teach you how to recognize your mama when you were born again? Nobody. When you were born as a child, did anybody teach you to recognize the voice of your mother? Nobody. No. And you don't need anyone as a born again child of God to teach you how to recognize his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That's good news. That's good news. But I want to be more sensitive to that. I want to be more sensitive to this <clears throat> intuitive ability to hear what he is saying. I think that's real important. Not just when I'm ministering, but when I'm alone, when I'm working, when I'm at home, when I'm with my wife. I want to be more sensitive to him. Some of you may have heard of Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a, a monk, I think, in the 15th century. And uh, he was known for his intimacy with God. But he, was a, he worked in the kitchen of the monastery and he washed dishes. And he scraped off the food off the dishes. And there, over hot water, soap, and dirty dishes, that man cultivated an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that made him notable throughout history. Oh, I don't want to be notable throughout history. I just want to walk as a man who follows the one who leads me, walking in that sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. I really desire that. And the older I get, the older I get, all the forces out there compete with that. With all the rationale, all the worldly wisdom, all of the, the worries of the world, all compete with that. Whereas when I can retreat and come to that place where I'm listening to Him, there comes not only direction, but there also comes a peace, a real genuine peace in my heart because of His direction. Number four, yeah, we're doing good on time. I kept driving. And uh, I thought, what else do I want? I thought, I'd like a new truck. But I didn't say that. I, this was too holy of a moment to waste on, on things that wear out. And I thought, what else do I want? I, I said, Lord, you know, an, another thing that I would really desire is more wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 3.13 and 14 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit than gold. Proverbs 15.14 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. He doesn't walk around saying, Oh, I've got all I need. He seeks knowledge. But the mouth of fools feed on folly. I have observed that over the last 50 years in the body of Christ, we have slowly displaced knowledge with experience. We've esteemed experience above knowledge in the church. We've replaced wisdom with a pseudo-faith. We've replaced understanding with self-reliance. Now, knowledge is mocked. Wisdom is ignored. 
And understanding is just absolutely absent. Truth, as you and I know it, has become liquid. It has lost its weight, its solidarity. You could say that it has become undefinable. It's the chameleon of the power brokers. That's why, that's why you can hear phrases that say, well, what's true for, for you may not be true for me. Because it's lost its definition. It's lost its edges. Os Guinness says it has lost its weight. Os Guinness is a, is a journalist. Loves the Lord. He's more of a theologian than many theologians I've seen. And he says this. He says, truth has become liquid. It has lost its weight. And as liquid, this truth that we embrace today assumes the shape of whatever holds it. It forms to the shape of the person who has it. So, to this person, truth is one thing, and to another person, truth is another. He would suggest that it has lost its kabod, the weight of its glory. And I would suggest that's worth recovering. That kabod, that glory, that wisdom is Christ Jesus himself. Jesus said this. He boldly stated, without any hesitation, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Truth was defined. It's not a concept, it's a person. And in Him is the weight of the glory of God. So I want to know truth. Truth is not a, per- a perception or a concept or a necessarily a, a formula. Truth is a person. I want to know knowledge. The, I want to have the knowledge of this truth. And I want to be able to plumb the depths of it. I want more understanding. Not just facts and raw data. I want to understand the narrative written in the eternal word. And not some bestseller sent out by the flesh pots of Egypt. I want to know Him. I want more wisdom, which is translated skill and prudence. Job 28, 28 says, And He said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Well, I guess there's a clue there how it builds on the fear of the Lord. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord and turning away from evil. Now all of this is happening while I'm driving. By now, I'm beyond Lake Charles. And then finally, this was a heavy one. I live in a culture where we try to assimilate Christianity into government. We try to... We have successfully reduced Jesus to a chaplain to endorse the powers that be. Today, evangelicalism has lost its influence in its witness and has become nothing more than a a voting block. 
recognized by the world. So this one was heavy. And our views as Christians are often confused with our rights in America by the Constitution. And so that makes this, this particular one very heavy for me. Because I, I grew up uh, with certain rights, which I'm not sure the Scriptures have given me. So when I'm driving, I said, Lord, I'm, there's a lot of other things I'd like to have. But I would really like to be a man of peace. One inwardly, peaceful inwardly and peaceful outwardly. My natural inclination, if you know me, is to react against the threat with more power than it presents to me itself. This kind of reaction always seems to be crouching at the door of my heart. And it's ready to defend or to attack. Cain's anger still has a place here. And that force, unless it's bridled, unless it's channeled or controlled, will drive you beyond just unforgiveness all the way to murder. I've never killed anybody, you know. But I do have an issue with anger. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to be a man of peace inwardly who trusts in you for it outwardly. And for me, that means being nonviolent. One who will not retaliate, but give vengeance to the Lord. I am of the full persuasion that God doesn't need my help. I'm not not going to touch the argument of armies and wars and that sort of thing. I'm talking about me. And uh, my tendency is to respond aggressively. If I lived in the United States, my tendency would probably be to have a gun cabinet and have show you my collection of guns. I love handguns. I've always loved them. But in these recent years growing in him I find that kind of lust and and hunger and desire um, incompatible with with Christ you say uh, but John didn't he say get a sword yes he did he did say get a sword but that's all he said Anything beyond that, anything that you might draw from that beyond what he said when he said get a sword is mere conjecture. And whatever you can imagine that that sword was used for, if it was used against another human being, just flies into the face of your conjecture because it does not correspond to your master. Jesus never raised his hand against someone. Luke twenty two thirty five through 38 says, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. He said to them, But, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, 
You see, he was about to die. He says, now the rules have changed. Let him take a money bag, a billfold, and likewise a knapsack, and let, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. The bag, the purse, the sword are all symbols. My understanding, Ross maybe could correct me on this, but to me they are symbols of of a future life. The bag, living light. The purse, living wisely, working, spending, spending your money like it should. The sword, living dangerously and even facing persecution. They're all symbols of what is about to come. And the whole idea here is that these men are about to experience catastrophic change after three and a half years of walking with Jesus. They're going to be reintroduced back into a society that has not nor experienced what they have experienced for three and a half years. So he says, go get your bag, go get your purse, go get your sword, because things are about to change. You're going to reemerge yourselves into a society. And he says, in essence, just as I was your currency in those three and a half years, I will be your currency from here on out. Just as I was your provision, when you walked with me, I will be your provision. And just as I was your protection, I will be your protection. John 18, 10 and 11 says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink that the, this cup that the Father has given me? And then in Luke 22, And then those who were around him saw what would follow. And they said, Lord, Shall we strike with a sword? Now that falls in so good with our North American attitude of constitutional rights. And the question that they presented Jesus, Shall I strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said this, listen, he said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Men want to strike. Jesus wants to heal. I want to be that way. I want to be a man that's more godly. I want to be a man that lives holy. I want to be a man who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to be a man who is a man of peace. These are the desires of a maturing man. There's other things, as I mentioned, that attract my attention. And, 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 of course, we're in the ministry and there's other things. Living by faith, you know, and provision and health and all of these promises. And, boy, you know, you, you probably couldn't corral all of the desires that we have. But on that road, on Highway 10, I felt like I was faced with, with something that was more than just a wish list. And as I was driving... I, I wanted to be more godly, more holy, more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, grow in wisdom and knowledge and be a man of peace. It was interesting. Somewhere around Mobile, 
Alabama before heading on Highway 65 North. It seemed as though the Lord looked down on me on Highway 10 and winked. Thank you.